Manon is here in the studio from UK in Europe. Simon Calder, travel editor of The Independent and all around, all round even, a travel expert. And Ben Kentish, LBC's Westminster reporter, is here to try to put things into the right political context for us as well. Good afternoon to all of you. The number for your questions. You can text on 84850. You can tweet at LBC. Uh, Maybe fishing rights are what you're interested in. Um, Instead of fish being imported, Ashley from Salem, Manchester wants to know, will we get our fishing rights back? I'm going to go straight to Ben on this one, actually, because fishing is a tiny part of our economy and yet it always seems to be front and centre at EU in EU rows when we were members and it's going to be the same in the next year isn't it? It's going to be one of the big sticking points in the next phase of talks about that trade negotiation that of course Boris Johnson and the EU have said they want to get in place by the end of this year um, yes we will in short take back control to use that phrase of our rights but then we might well give them away again because the EU and specifically countries like France, Sheila are going to make this a real demand and I don't think the British government will sacrifice other sectors such as financial services which is about seven times bigger as a proportion of the economy for the sake of fishing so France and other countries will say we want access to your waters if we're going to give you say lower tariffs on other goods and it was it was famously one of the first things that um the French president said wasn't it about about all of this like you know we're coming he essentially sent a strong message we're coming after your fish absolutely it's you know it's a a big issue for French fishermen not just France but other uh, Spain and Netherlands countries around the UK um, and I don't think the UK government is going to make it a red line. Well, I've got questions coming in on text and Twitter and on calls as well. I'll hear from Ellie in just a moment and Matt. Before I do that, Anna Manon from UK and a Changing Europe uh, here in the studio, as I said just a moment ago. It's a, it's a strange day, isn't it? It's a weird day. It is a curious day because lots of things will change. It's a really significant day, but no one will really notice anything because because of this transition period virtually everything in terms of our trading relationship with the European Union is going to remain exactly as it is. I mean, we shouldn't underestimate, it is momentous. I mean, as of 11, up to 11 o'clock tonight, if the British government changed its mind, it could say, let's stay, it would be over and forgotten. As of 11.01, there is no easy way back. We're Stop out. tormenting us. We're not represented <laughs> in the institutions. Uh, so even though it doesn't, f- it, you know, nothing will feel different on Monday... It is different. And Simon Calder, people will call and are calling with their individual questions. What, what's your over, overarching sort of travel thought about well, Brexit? Uh, OK, so initially exactly nothing changes. And I've been actually very, very concerned by the amount of misinformation that is out there, That's including on the government's website. Um, They have been, all the way through January, when people have been thinking, is my passport going to be valid on the 1st of February? If it expires, say, on the 1st of May, answer, yes, it most certainly will. They've been saying, oh, not so sure, put your passport uh, details in here, and then saying, you've got to get a new passport. So one lady drove 150 miles to get an emergency passport uh, organised when she had three months left on her passport. It is absolutely scandalous. Nothing changes. Your passport, if it's a British passport, is valid until and including the expiry date um this is all until the end of 2020 at least your driving license is valid you don't whatever it might say online need a green card for motor insurance european health insurance card will continue to deliver health care at the same until the end of this year until the end of this year after that then it is completely up for grabs well let's hope Um, the website improves by then yes ellie's call from epsom downs who do you want to direct your question to ellie Oh, oh, 
whoever can answer it best. Okay, go on. It's, it's about pets and passports. Yeah, so it's a pet passport. That's definitely Ben Kentish. <laughs> go on, sorry. And, um, sorry, it's a pet passport travel scheme, which obviously at the moment is a system that works very well. Um, but there's a lot of conflicting information out there as to what's going to happen uh, at the end of the year. You know, when the change actually happens, what is the change going to be? Well, I can fortunately tell you exactly the answer from the government website. They are saying that the scheme is being scrapped. I am absolutely quoting them here. Pet travel allow at least four months to arrange. From the 1st of January 2021, you will not be able to use the existing pet passport scheme. Instead, you'll need to follow a different process, which takes four months. So that's something at least we know. Um, it's uh, obviously going to be a huge detriment to people who like to take their cats and dogs and indeed ferrets abroad. But um, that's uh, that's what's going to happen. So there you are. Um, that was an easy one, and thank you for allowing me to answer it. <laughs> Happy with that, Ellie? Uh, no, <laughs> it's just sad, isn't it? With okay. uh, I mean, it means for someone like me who goes abroad with my pet who has a home in Spain, I would consider selling because I, if it's going to make it difficult to travel, it has big implications. But it is what it is, I suppose. Well, look, but thank uh, you, Sprunting. Uh, well, Ellie, look, forgive me, I, I, and uh, obviously, I'm very happy to take any questions on any aspect of it. But I did actually just before I left the office to come along to uh, uh, see Sheila and the team here. Um, here we are. A question: Somebody saying, "Oh, come on! Um, you've been going on about um, the detriments brought about by travel. Can you think of anything that's um, uh, going to improve?" And I tried really hard and duty-free from 2021 will come back, which is great if you like smoking and you like whiskey. Um, if you like loading up the car with a couple of crates of wine when you're coming back from Calais, it's terrible. But that's the one thing. Oh, part, of course, some blue passports, the same colour as Croatian passports, which, um, if I'm not mistaken, is in the European Union. For the pets? Uh, no, oh, no. For pets, the humans. I'm afraid pets, <laughs> okay. I was going to say pets are toast, but that sounded, okay. sounded terrible. That no, so. did sound <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Ellie, thank you for your call. And uh, did you want to come in on that? You looked like a man who did, or were you just enjoying the conversation? I was just curious about the ferrets. <laughs> okay. Do you have any ferrets? <laughs> Absolutely not. Is there any more you'd like to add about ferrets, Simon? Uh, no, um, I'm not a ferret correspondent. <laughs> I'm merely a reporter. <laughs> Nathan, Nathan has called from Truro in Cornwall. Hello, Nathan. Hi there, Sheila. I've, I feel quite lucky to have a, you know, free panellist to ask my question to. You are. Go on. <laughs> uh, yeah. In a post, post-Brexit world, can I still expect, as an ethnic English person, to be in a minority by 2066? And also, can any of you say anything nice about white people? Oh, I'm not sure what you mean about the... Uh, all right. Okay. I'm not, I don't understand Nathan's question. I don't understand. Well, the I mean, in terms of in terms of the demography of this country, one of the things that has happened. I mean, and it's impossible to know what's going to happen going forward because we don't really have full clarity about immigration policy going forward. But since the referendum, the numbers of EU citizens coming here has fallen quite dramatically, but the overall amount of immigration has remained roughly constant, which means that basically. We are taking more people from outside of the EU to make up for the EU people who aren't coming than we were before the referendum. Mm. Uh, so it has changed things. What will happen going forward? We just don't know because it's going to depend on the legislation the government puts. It's one of, you know, it's one of the opportunities of Brexit is we have to come up with an immigration policy and decide what sort of people we want and what the criteria are. And how it are. best suits the economy. Yeah. And there's an argument going on in government at the moment, for instance, about how high any income threshold should be set. Let's talk to Matt. Uh, Matt is called from France, from Le Leguet, is it, in, in France, Matt? 
Léger, Léger. Léger. Um, you've lived most of your life, all of your life in France? No, I've lived 20 years in France. 20 years of it. year 2000. Um, so I've got, a, I've got a house with a flat. I've got a business. Um, I'm, you know, I'm recently current in the local scene, if you like, the French life. Um, I've got a teacher de séjour, which is a 10-year professional all-activities working visa, which I wasn't required to have under European law, but it's helped, you know, in terms of bank and all kinds of uh, facilitation and administrative things. And really, there's very little information out there. It's deafening silence. What are you really supposed to do? What are, what are the ways forward? How is this going to pan out? And is the nature of the discussions that may or may not exist with the British government going to be to the detriment of my personal situation as well? Hello. Well, because you were there before Brexit, uh, the French will give you uh, the equivalent of what the UK are giving, which is settled status. I can't remember what the French are calling it, but that will be available to you. So you won't lose your rights in France, what you will lose as a UK citizen is the right of free movement. That is to say, for some Brits who live in an EU country and work in another EU country, life gets tricky because you'll get your rights in the country of residence, but it's that free movement, that ability to travel freely between member states that we will lose from losing the, of leaving the European Union. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very simple to say, to come across the, the UK settled status app on the phone, whatever it is, within seconds you're under process. Now, I went on to... France administration website recently when Johnson won the election, um, fearing for the worst, and uh, you go through a series of uh, arrows and boxes because I've got a 10-year teacher de séjour, which many people who live over here and have lived over here for many, many years don't have because there was no requirement. What, what, does that, that, what, what does that mean? That It's a 10-year working visa, effectively, right. that allows you to do all professional activities and is an administrative number on it, a social security number that allows uh, normal regime administration to actually take seriously rather than kind of just to sort of backdoor you if you're not really taking things seriously. Have you felt that the French government has reached out to Brits in in France and said, right, look, here's what you need to do? Uh, No, no, definitely not not at all. I mean, I get uh, ample solar revenue tax, habitation, all kinds of administrative things dropped through the floor, dropped through the door, but nothing comes through relating to Brexit on any level whatsoever. I mean, one suggestion would be to contact either the British Embassy or your nearest British consulate, because I would have thought, though I don't know this, that they will be providing information for Brits to help them do things like this. Yeah, so there's a website called Brexit Brits Abroad. Now, uh, my aunt actually moved to France six or seven years ago, and uh, they and her partner, and they started the process in citizenship uh, sometime last year. And uh, I asked them whether it was just procedural, um, normal, was it tricky, was it uh, interrogatory, anything like that? And she said, well, actually, it's been quite a struggle, to be honest. And um, the other thing that I would like to say, well, there's a couple of things, but I've forgotten what it was now, sorry, Um, is... uh, 
Um, well, Matt, listen, we'll, we'll go because we need to go to the break. But if you remember them, just text them to us and we'll throw them at Anna and at Simon and, and at Ben in the studio here. We've got uh, questions about Gibraltar, just to brace yourselves, fellas. We've got questions about Gibraltar, about moving to France and Spain. Plenty on pet passports, but we've answered that one. But if people need reminders, we can give you reminders. It's 16 minutes past three. Brexit surgery happening today. Uh, more than a think tank. It's a surgery, isn't it? A, a, or, a, or a self-help group. I don't know what you want to call it. But you're calling with your and texting and tweeting with your questions about Brexit. Jason has called from Grays in Essex. Hi, Jason. Hi, Sheila. Thank you, panel, for being there today. We've got lots of questions to be answered, clearly. Go on. Um, my question is, a question that we've had for about three and a half years, I guess, is how is this physically possible? Effectively, we have four months to renegotiate our trade deal with the European Union. The February is going to be gone discussing about the contents of what's going to be negotiated. Then by the end of June, at that point, we almost have to draw a line under it before it has to go across to 27 countries, member state parliaments, national parliament, and all the regional parliaments, including Wallonia and Belgium that held up the Canada deal. It'll take them at least four months, probably six, to ratify any final trade agreement. This has got to include tariffs, quotas, customs, duties, rules of origin, transportation of nuclear material, aviation, electronic data communications, copyright, civil justice, social justice, company law, animal feed, clinical state, and a whole host of other things all have to be renegotiated inside four months. And your question presumably is how? It's not, not just that. Then we've got between July and December... You're gonna, I'm going to have to push you to ask a question, Jason, or I'd have had you on the panel. Come on, give me a question. OK, the question is, on top of that, we've got another 600 agreements, international agreements, between the EU and 160 other countries around the world. How is Boris Johnson going to get Brexit done? OK, there you go. And I'm not... Well, there are a lot of assumptions there, Jason. Firstly, that we're going to negotiate everything by the end of the year. We're not. We can't. You're absolutely right. If the government negotiates something quite minimal with the EU, like a trade deal that just covers goods, you don't need ratification in all member states and all member states' parliament. It's what's called, uh, it won't be a mixed agreement, which means that the EU itself can ratify it. So there are ways of speeding the process up. And trade deals can come into effect before they've been ratified. You can have conditional implementations. So there are ways around this, but the fundamental issue that you've touched on is... We're not going to get a comprehensive deal with the European Union at the end of the year. So the question is whether we'll get a partial one and whether the Prime Minister and the EU will agree as part of that partial one that they'll find a mechanism to keep things ticking over as close to as they are now as possible while they negotiate the rest. And that could last how long in your view? Decades? A decade. But if you talk to the Swiss, what they'll <laughs> tell me. you is being a, a neighbour of the European Union basically means an endless, open-ended series of negotiations with the European Union that never end, because you're always tinkering with the EU's changing its rules, you're changing your rules. We will always be in some form of negotiation. Because it's always going to be a dance. Because, yeah, because yeah. both sides are going to be changing stuff, things will happen that we hadn't anticipated. Mm. But to get an actual deal, Jason's right, we won't get a massive, comprehensive deal that covers everything we do with the EU from policing to the economy but we might get some things more ben. Well, I think Jason hit the nail on the head really there is ve no real feasible prospect of getting the broad and comprehensive trade deal that's the what the EU, UK and the EU have committed to in the political declaration done by the end of the year. Now, there is the option, of course, of extending that transition period. But Boris Johnson, firstly, would need to decide that by June, if, he, if that's to be extended beyond the end of this year. 
He's also enshrined in law that he won't. So politically, it's very hard to do so. So as Alan says, I suspect what we'll end up with is a kind of bare bones deal, maybe some fudge way of extending the transition in some areas. Mm. But no, the idea of a trade deal that normally takes five to seven years is going to be done in eight months because it's not even started. And the Westminster politics of all of this, the optics, as they say, for Boris Johnson are huge, aren't they? They are. I think people were surprised when he did put it in law that the transition wouldn't be extended because only a few months after a general election with a majority of 80, he delayed things before. Of course, he promised to get Brexit done by last, last October and didn't. I don't think it would have been as damaging as perhaps they feared if they'd extended the transition by a year or two. But putting it in law is a pretty big gesture and it's hard to go back on that. Chris asks, how will Brexit affect Gibraltar and the Gibraltarians? It doesn't seem to have come up much in the media. Chris in Stubbington. Well, that's, I must say, with the greatest respect for the people of Gibraltar, of course, um, very important. Um, Gibraltar is always a little bit of a thorn um, for for the whole of Europe, um, but particularly for UK-Spanish relations. Now, anybody who's been um, to Gibraltar recently will know that they're, you know, they've got this nice fluid border uh, between Gibraltar and the rest of Sp- and, and the rest of the Iberian Peninsula. I have to choose my language carefully here. Uh, it is a British overseas territory head of state, Her Majesty the Queen. And uh, as far as I know, they are looking at potentially staying within the, well, joining it would have to be the Schengen area, in which case it would be obviously very sensible for them because you could get rid of all the border apparatus and uh, it would be much, much more easy flowing. Um, but uh, it would also require, I think, the UK to say, kind of, you're, you're going to be semi-detached and we would have then passport controls when we fly into uh, Gibraltar because it would be effectively part of the Schengen area. I mean, it's worth recalling that 90%, I think, of the population of Gibraltar voted Remain. And the reason they did is that if they get the wrong deal, it could cripple the island and its economy. Uh, The other thing worth saying about Gibraltar is I'm pretty certain that at some point in these negotiations, the Spanish Prime Minister, who is beleaguered at home and desperate to to detract attention away from what's happening in Spain, will raise Gibraltar in the talks and say, actually, you need to give us concessions on the talks on Gibraltar, otherwise we're not signing up to a trade deal with you. So I suspect Gibraltar will be used against does oh, during it, this process. It normally is and every single um, travel related deal I've seen has six paragraphs about exactly what the status of Gibraltar is relevant to it. Other exclaves are available. Um, for example, Spain has them in Ceuta and Melilla on the uh, North African coast parts of um, what would otherwise be Morocco. Okay, Claire in Bushy. Hi Claire. Hi, um, something that's really been bothering me then that we don't seem to be able to get an answer to is I work in the entertainment industry where we're often sending actors abroad to European countries at very short notice to do, you know, short-term jobs, which could be one or two days. How is this going to affect the arts? It's going to be quite tough. Um, let me tell you exactly what is, what is going to happen. Once we get to the end of 2021, we then become proper third country nationals. That means there is exactly no automatic right of uh, going into uh, the EU at the moment. I turn up, or Sheila turns up, all she's got to do is have a passport, uh, which belongs to Sheila Fogarty. They check that it is Sheila Fogarty. They can't ask her anything about what she's planning to do, how long she's planning to stay, how how her health is, her criminal record. Of course, she is utterly blameless. And, and But all of those questions will come up uh, for some people. On top of that, and talking of the entertainment uh, industry, Claire, uh, really serious concern about one of the things we found out yesterday, which is that equipment 
for gigs, for rock bands, for exhibitions, for people um, taking taking uh, high value samples abroad. Those will all have to have what's called a, an ATA carne. Costs three hundred and twenty. Sorry, yeah, three hundred and twenty six pounds, and involves huge amounts of paperwork. Oh dear. Is, that but, um, is there going to be some sort of uh, sort of allowance for people who are just going to be there for a couple of days, or are they going to have to have visas just to for, like each country? Well, I mean, partly that's a function of the negotiations, but the way things stand is exactly as you just heard, without a kind of deal on this. And I think it's very unlikely that in the time available, the UK and the EU will get to a deal on people, let alone goods. I mean, goods they might do, people they won't. Then it's going to be very hard. All the third country paperwork will apply. And it's not just the people. Uh, it is also what you're taking with you. You're going to have to get the, re the requisite permit to take something. So if you're travelling at a short notice, as many actors and indeed musicians do, life will mm. become very hard for you, I'm afraid. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you for that. Anyone wanted to come in on that? I Hang on. Claire, I just thought I'd add quickly, just from a political perspective, we're talking slightly as if this was inevitable. Actually, it was a choice of the British government to leave the single market, to leave the customs union, and the burden, the bureaucracy that comes with that was a choice made by the government because they want to take back control of freedom of movement and immigration. So it wasn't inevitable. It was a political choice. Thank you uh, very much indeed. That's Ben Kentish still with us between now. And four o'clock, LBC's Westminster reporter. We've got Anna Manon here as well from UK and a Changing uh, Europe and Simon Calder, travel editor of The Independent. Your questions, your texts, your tweets, 03456060973, the number to call, text 84850, tweet at LBC. Hot Simon Calder is here in the studio, the travel editor of The Independent. Anna Menon is here uh, from UK and a Changing Europe and LBC's Westminster reporter Ben Kentish to take your questions. Joe in Bromley uh, by text wants to know how does a British person with Irish grandparents apply for an Irish passport please and is this time limited now we will be leaving the EU? Uh, I'll, I'll have a stab at that. Now, um, I bitterly regret that I do not have the great fortune of having the right um, Irish DNA. <laughs> uh, now, it's slightly complicated because generally in th there are some people who are lucky enough to have had a granny who was born in Belfast. If a parent of theirs then, uh, who, who was the child of that, that grandmother, uh, then took out Irish citizenship, I think it can be passed on. You have it um, automatically. I'm, I'm the child of Irish parents yes. and therefore so. grandparents and you are automatically um, uh, described as a citizen of parents. Yes. But if your grandparents are citizens, you have to then seek that citizenship yes. to get uh, a passport. Uh, okay, but then you've got a passport and I would urge anybody who is entitled to an EU passport to get one. At the very least, it means that from 2021 onwards, you'll be able to laugh at all the uh, uh, Brits queuing up at the all other persons uh, counter and um, whiz straight through the EU one. We know for a fact that uh, we will be in the in the slow queue yeah. from uh, 2021 and, and onwards. But, but much more importantly, you get the freedom to, to work, to travel anywhere you want to in, in and, Europe. And I would say, have a look, Joe, have a look at the um, Irish Embassy website. Plenty of information there as well about the documentation that you will need, but it is absolutely doable if you have Irish grandparents. Is something you want to say about that, Anna? No? no? Okay. I don't have so, Irish grandparents. You don't have Irish grandparents. <laughs> Strangely. Uh, anybody got an Irish grandparent that could adopt me. <laughs> it's that's not how it works. Oh, right. Yeah, I've checked the I've checked the embassy website. Uh, <laughs> Kathy in Huddersfield says, please can I ask how important might our Commonwealth links be in terms of future trade deals and is this an area we can expand on? Any thoughts? Well the fundamental determinant of how you how much you trade with a country is not shared language, shared history, shared values, it's geography. 
uh, countries trade more with countries they are closer to. So in that sense, we're, you know, we're still going to be trading a lot with the European Union. But absolutely, the government has decided to prioritise some trade deals with countries like Australia and New Zealand. And if we can sign trade deals and increase trade, that will be good for the economy. But remember, the trade we do with those countries is very, very small indeed. And it won't replace the kinds of things we do with the European Union. So you know, think of the complex supply chains that link us to Spain and Germany in the car industry where car parts cross the channel several times during the manufacturing process. You're not going to do that with New Zealand, whatever sort of trade deal you strike, because it's just too far away. And go on. I just wondered, um, I'm straying beyond my brief here, but has anybody actually done the sums of if we do, say, double trade of actual goods with Australia and New Zealand, what the damage will be to the planet uh, compared with, with doubling our trade to Belgium? I, I imagine nobody's done that until okay, we've actually got until until we've got that trade. But uh, again, th- this is this is po- this is politics, isn't it? As, as much as the science of it, this is politics that, that they will inevitably have to deal with. But I, I doubt any of that is keeping them awake at night. It's not. I think the priority at the moment is getting those deals done. And as Alan said, some of those Commonwealth countries have been among the deal very few deals that have been assigned. Places like Fiji, we've done a trade deal with now. I haven't got the figures at my fingertips between UK and Fiji and trade. <laughs> they're not going to. They're not going to save the social care. Be, system, uh, are they, the not economic benefits of... But, but I can absolutely confirm that the international date line passes through the Fijian archipelago, which means that it is as far from the UK as it is possible to be. So all the stuff okay. we send them and they send us, us is going to be going a very long way. Just in time, as long as the time is, is time travel. Um, loads of questions on passports. There's still confusion on passports. Right. You mentioned, you can laugh at people in the uh, other person's queue, um, uh, can I still go through the EU gates of passport control? Uh, Yes, you can until midnight on New Year's Eve. Yeah, we, we've been absolutely assured. The of transition that. period that we are about to enter yes. includes that. And, and then uh, one minute past midnight, nope, you're in the other queue, I'm afraid. So actually, if your plane is getting into Athens just before midnight, you're going to be queuing up in one and then they'll say, oh, everyone move across. Um, can I just very briefly talk through what passports, um, uh, what is going on with passports? Your passport whenever it expires is valid as a British travel document till its expiry Even if it says European Union on the front of it? It doesn't matter that it says European Union on the front. If I were to go from here to um, the passport office down at Victoria Station in central London and get a passport today, it would be a full European Union passport till um, 11 o'clock tonight. Then it turns into something which is pretending to be a full European passport and will be accepted as such. And in what way pretending? It will look exactly the same but not have European Union written on it? No, it will have Europe. It doesn't matter if it has that. It's just a, it's a British passport. Therefore, it is regarded as... It, it is being treated as though you are a citizen of uh, the European Union. So your expiry Union. date yeah. is the only thing that you that you need to worry about? Uh, before Yes, and, and there's lots of rubbish around people saying you need six months and so on. Once 2020 one arrives it gets phenomenally complicated because uh, there are then two confu- com- conflicting stipulations one is the government here is saying don't get on a plane to europe if you haven't got six months at least on your passport and the other one is a european union rule which says if you're not a member of the european union you cannot uh, have passports valid for more than 10 years. Now, my passport valid for 10 years and eight months because they give you, they gave you credit for extra time. So there will be theoretically people whose passport expires in almost 15 months who are denied boarding from flights because 
uh, they've got the full nine months extension on their passport. So just be watchful. I you you, you will have advice. to be very watchful from 2020, but that's when things are going to change. And of course, any British passport you get now will continue to be valid as an EU travel document. We don't, uh, as a UK travel document, nobody needs to get a new passport because of Brexit. You only ever need to get a passport if it's running out. And just bear in mind that some of these wrinkles might be ironed out by the negotiations. I think, you know, as we've heard before, there are time pressures. There's a limit to what we can do. But things, you know, if there are administrative problems that both sides recognise are silly and are best avoided, they can they can agree those in the talks this year. So there's a lot up for grabs in these talks. It's not just about trade, it's about people as well. Uh, Philip in Bracknell, hello. Uh, good afternoon. Do you have a, a question you want to direct at a particular person or do you just want to throw it out there? No, no, a question for all three members of the panel. I just wanted to know, is there anything that they're looking forward to uh, once the, everything's been done and dusted that's going to be so much easier once we've left? Well, I mean, there are lots of things that are going to be easier in the sense that, for instance, even the maddest enthusiasts for the European Union would struggle to make a positive case for the common agricultural policy, which is a bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, we, outside of the European Union, will find it a lot easier, I think, to devise agricultural policies that A, meet our needs and are B, environmentally friendly, than having to do it in concert with 27 other member states, one of which is the French, who never like changing the common agricultural policy. So in areas like that, where actually the European Union Union has been dominant because of our membership, there are real opportunities to do things better now we're out. I'm looking forward to you know, things getting done that have been needed to get done in the last few years in terms of government focusing on health, on education, on skills, on things that really affect people's lives day to day. And if you talk to people in Whitehall, there's been a logjam. They can't get things signed off. They can't get funding for things because the whole government for years has been so focused on Brexit that there's been a lot of neglect of other areas, I think. Well, I, might, I might want to interject there. I mean, we, we've um, that's only during the process of... of the Brexit process that that's been... Well, uh, the battle against the, it, the, really. The, the battle for it and the battle against it. That's been almost it. four yeah, years. I mean, that's the, uh, we've, we've had the ability to deal with those issues for decades. Um, yeah, but bear in mind, I mean, it's right that we'll probably be less obsessed with Brexit as we go forward into February, but I think by March, the Institute for Government have estimated there are going to be 30,000 civil servants working on Brexit. So it's not going to go away as an issue in our politics or for our civil service. For decades. For at least the several years. I think politically the focus yeah. is going to shift. Yeah, you know, the government already say, let's get this done and focus on people. And let's not use the word anymore. Let's not use the word anymore, quite. Well, we will. Okay, we will. here, here on. on the travel desk, very, very difficult to find positives unless you smoke and drink uh, whiskey. Um, uh, but the, 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 and even just, just the getting a, an e-visa for St. Petersburg, this most beautiful city in Russia, um, is fine if you're an EU citizen. Another reason for getting an Irish passport. Um, but it's not because we're leaving the EU, but there will be, I imagine, among environmentalists um, welcoming the fact that uh, Brexit is likely to reduce the increase in aviation. And that's partly because, of, if I may, uh, it is generally assumed that um, our economy will, will shrink relative to where it would have been. And also the fact we have exactly no idea if open skies will prevail. And um, that, of course, is, has been the uh, great freedom which has allowed airlines like uh, EasyJet and Ryanair to flourish. Just a quick text before we go to the break, because I suspect the answer from all of you will be quite a short one. Nikki in Clapham says, uh, hi, Sheila and panel. Hi, Nikki. Is there any chance we can still revoke Article 50 here? hoping you touched on that Anna Manon a few moments ago up to 11 o'clock tonight 
Uh, Any chance? If the Prime Minister so wishes, no. Absolutely. I mean, I, <laughs> this Prime Minister is not going to do that, no. No, of course not. And I, I would um, uh, dial up um, a well-known uh, bookmaker and see what odds you would get on that. I, I think they'd be very, very long, but I'm not sure it's a bet I would make. You're not going to rush down to Downing Street anytime soon, Ben, and see if, if the, that, that's a plan, are you? I, I think it's highly unlikely. You'd be the only, you'd be the only one doing it. Yes, to put yeah. money on that. It's not going to happen. It's not. Sorry, Nikki. That, that's what you're hoping for. Just as, as people might be wondering if there's a situation where the transition just becomes indefinitely extended and we sort of, we're at the EU, but we stay in this kind of bizarre flux situation. The answer is no. The withdrawal agreement makes very, very clear it can only be extended once and up to, I think, two years, maybe three years maximum. More of your calls and texts and tweets and questions in a moment. 0345 606 0973. It's 345. Question for the panel. Huey says, can I be reassured that the food I consume from a supermarket will remain of a very high standard? I mean, this is the chlorinated chicken stories, Ben, are what lead to questions like this, aren't they? No, you can't be guaranteed, I'm afraid. This this is a very uh, important issue in the talks because the EU is going to insist that their standards are maintained, but the Britain wants to diverge with them. And it wants to diverge with them partly so they can strike deals with other countries, including predominantly the US. Now, US standards on food are significantly lower than the ones that are currently uh, in place in the UK as part of our membership of the EU. So a real sticking point is this idea of a level playing field, which is the EU saying you've got to keep the same regulations, the same environmental protections, not just on, on food, but on things like workers' rights if you want to have tariff-free, so trade without tariffs between mm. the UK and the EU. America, agriculture is very, very important. Its trade deal with the UK is going to insist that those barriers, those standards are lowered. Real, real tough one for the government to choose between those two priorities. I've just had a couple of things. I mean, the point of taking back control is that our parliament gets to decide everything. And if our parliament gets to decide everything, you can't guarantee anything beyond a parliament because the next government might come in and do what it wants. So we are, it is very hard, therefore, to have guaranteed standards on anything that lasts more than one government if the government changes. And that's, that's integral to the Brexit process, if you like. But just on, on food standards, what I would say is on chlorinated chicken, the issue about chlorinated chicken isn't that we'll be eating chlorine and it's bad for us. The issue about chlorinated chicken is because they dip them in chlorine at the end of the process, it's the welfare animal of the chickens. welfare it's, standards yeah, yeah. are lower than ours because it doesn't matter how they treat the chickens because they wash them in chlorine at the end. So it's, this is about animal welfare more than it's about our own health. But there are all sorts of issues like that that are going to be up for grabs in our negotiations with the US and the EU. There's also a difference between the EU, it's very technical, but difference between the EU and the uh, US in terms of their standards of food because the US prioritised pests. So yeah. they allow effectively contaminate bits of mice, maggots, uh, cockroaches in your food, whereas the UK, the EU, sorry, prioritised pesticides. So the standards the EU yeah. enforce mean you won't have pesticides. <laughs> and the moral is get an allotment. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn's allotments are going to be uh, increasingly popular. Oh my God! I did not know that. Yeah, it's, so it's, never eat in America is the message. We, you'll have more. You'll have fewer pesticides, but more pests. But in maybe your food. maybe a bit of a rat. You could, yeah, there's 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 quite literally figures and barriers for the proportion of your food that's allowed to be a cockroach. But the Americans would say, actually, it's it might sound yuckier, but it's healthier than eating the best. I mean, yeah. they're it's just protein. a fundamental yeah. sort of philosophical like difference. But it's a real issue, and it's very hard to reconcile that. Oh, God. Back to the allotments. Anne has called from Straban. Anne from Straban, hello. Hi there. What's your question? Hi, um, I just wanted to ask, I've never heard any discussions about um, the border in the Irish Sea as regards... 
um, the fact that it will potentially be the main immigration um, point after 2020. Um, and there's lots of talk about trade and, and stuff like that, kind of products coming in and out of Northern Ireland, GB. Um, and we're we're all kind of secretly relieved that there's not going to be a border, a land border, which is right beside where I live. But is this going to happen for us in the future that that will be a main, uh, you know, for me to go home to Scotland from Northern Ireland, there's going to be passport controls and everything there. Is that going to be the case? No. There won't be passport controls. Uh, what but there what will be... what about the people, if the border, the, the land border remains open and they introduce a, a stricter immigration policy, how do they, how do they um, control that well, without one... having passport controls going from Northern Ireland to Scotland? You're absolutely right. It's one of the many paradoxes of Brexit that we're taking back control of our borders while leaving one of our borders open. Uh, the police will try and do it through surveillance, sort of using cameras, profiling, things like that, but they will not, absolutely will not, for political reasons, impose passport checks. You've seen already since the deal was signed at the end of last year, even the notion of relatively minor checks on goods and on livestock is causing a political crisis. Even away from the yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a vet myself and I've done some of the training for the LBI um, course that, that uh, the vets in Northern Ireland would have needed to the qualification we would have needed to have to certify food going across the border from north to south um, um, and as far as as far as that goes that was going to be complete chaos if it had happened mm. but I just don't see how what we're having now is going to be much better. Well, Simon? All I would say, and I'm the only person probably who remembers that the reason that Ireland joined the EU at the same time as the UK was clearly because of the common travel area, which has been going for um, many, many decades and actually supersedes, overrides um, the EU membership. And it, would, it, would, it was thought ridiculous not for Ireland to join at the same time. Now it's, as, as we were hearing, um, difficult to, to separate the two. We do one other thing, and you're very close to the border there in Straban. Um, duty-free will be introduced, we were told yesterday, from Ireland to Great Britain, but not to Northern Ireland. Thank you uh, for that. Sure. Thanks, Anne, for your call. Sean has called from Malden. Sean, hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, it's a quick question for the panel. Uh, my wife and I were planning on buying a place in France and semi-retiring there and spending the iron a business in the UK and then in, the, in England and then spending time moving backwards and forwards. My daughters are aged 21 and 18 so we were hoping that when grandchildren came along we'd have uh, a lovely place in france and we'd be able to move backwards and forwards can the panel give me any positives at all going forward uh, all i can say is uh, that for sean for the rest of uh, this year you will be able to stay as long as you want there's an awful lot of people who will spend part of the year maybe six months either you know spending the winter in the canaries or um spending half uh, half the year going back yeah, and sorry, forth. sorry 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 if i could interrupt mm -hmm. i said going forward so could you give me any uh, oh, sure yeah. Gives at all yeah after 2021 well there's no positives but i can tell you what the rules are going to be and then you can make up your mind um you will be able to stay for a maximum of 90 days in any 180 days that means if you go in from january to march uh, to anywhere in the uh, Schengen area, which is basically the EU, um, you'll, you'll be able to spend January, February, March there. You've then got to clear off and wait three months before you can go back in. So, so your answer is basically, there are no positives for me? Well, no. 
Um, I, mean, that, that I can't see any, but um, it, uh, please uh, call LBC if you can. But your so Sean, your plan uh, was it to move there or just to spend time there whenever you wished? To, to spend time, we, we plan on buying a place and we go back to. We, we live near the Channel Tunnel, so to get to France is very simple. Easy, yeah. Currently is very simple, yeah. uh, and it was to just go backwards and forwards as and when we wanted to. And now, actually, we're looking at probably changing our entire plans because. From what I was understanding, which is exactly what I've just been told, the, the the brilliance that we used to have has now been completely taken away from me and I won't be able to do what we planned to do. I mean, the bottom line is you lose the right of freedom of movement, which allows you to travel between EU states as if you were travelling within a single country. And as a result of that, you are more obviously going to be going to a foreign country when you travel to France after the start of next calendar year. And that implies all sorts of things. It implies you might not be automatically uh, have a right to health care. It applies that you're going to have limits on the amount of time you can spend there. Losing free movement, that is, that is precisely what it implies. And they but, will... but, but from, from, my, from my understanding, when, when this all happened a few years ago, and, and during from 2016 to 2019, we were told there would be no downsides. It was all sunny uplands. So my plans and everything and there must be other people like me we're the people who have had there are no sunny uplands from what i can see because uh, well unless unless someone someone can tell me any difference on the panel i can just see that everything i was planning has been taken away from me ben's making a face because he thinks i'm about to say to him what are the sunny uplands ben um but <laughs> but what would boris let's imagine all of us what boris johnson would say to sean and his wife at this point about the sunny uplands you've taken i'm sean mr johnson you've taken away mine and my wife's right uh, to buy a house in france and to go there whenever we want to spend six months there if it suits us in our retirement how dare you what would he say what would he say about the the joys of brexit do you think I think he'd say we're taking back control. Um, freedom of movement will end. The government, as I say, chose that. It could have stayed in the single market. It could have allowed it to continue, but it wants to take back control of its borders. It would argue that immigration was a big part of the reason people voted to leave. And ministers have argued that it wouldn't really be delivering Brexit if we allowed immigration to continue at the levels it was before Brexit. Now, there's a question about whether it will reduce, because, as Anon said earlier... There's going to be a pivot towards immigration from outside the EU, but I think that's what Boris Johnson would say if he was here. I think, to be brutally honest, the Prime Minister would bluster this, but what we're hearing more and more from some of his ministers, we heard it from Michael Gove today, we heard it a little bit from Sajid Javid last week, is they will say, look, there are costs and benefits of this, and for some people you're going to lose, uh, but you'll lose so that others can get things that they wanted. And I think if you're... If your plans include making use of the provisions of free movement that you get as being a member of the European Union, it is very hard to see an upside. It's over. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed to all of you. To Simon Calder, travel editor of The Independent, to Anna Menon from UK and a Change in Europe. Thanks to